We're in the book of John, chapter 1. Um, and uh, if you find it, go ahead and stand and honor the reading of God's word here today. Uh, we are in a series. This is our third message in the book of John, the gospel of John. And uh, the first two weeks, uh, the first week was kind of an overview. John 20, verse 31, that, uh, that's the purpose, the stated purpose. John wrote the gospel so that we would know something about Jesus Christ, believe in Jesus Christ, and have eternal life. That's the purpose of the Gospel of John. And we talked about that the first week. Then last week we did more of a character study on John the person, John the man, and how um, when John was young, he was full of thunder. He was a son of thunder. But by the end of his life, that he was a man known in exemplifying love. So God took him from thunder to love, and the one, the only thing that we really know, the, re, the one difference between thunder and love is the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and he at first was judgmental and harsh and, and angry and maybe even selfish, but somewhere along the way, and I believe it happened at the foot of the cross, that he realized that Jesus Christ is not just a God of judgment, he's a God of love. And I'm thankful that he exemplified Love. I still get excited about that message. If nothing else, from thunder to love, I mean, that was a moment of inspiration, the title alone. Um, but today we begin, we start to dig. And, and, and this, this can be, um, you know, John 1 is daunting in itself. Um, but we start going verse by verse through, through here. And, and it, can, it can feel like, okay, there's a lot of details. And there's a lot to work through. And admittedly, there, there, there could be, and I thought, where do I start? Um, but really what we need is the verse-by-verse -verse exposition and digging of God's Word. That's what we need. If we did nothing else, honestly, if we did nothing else but read the verse and explain it, that's enough to transform our lives. And today I'll try to do more than that, but essentially that's what I'll be doing is trying to explain what these verses mean. And I don't mean what these verses mean to me. I mean what these verses mean. And you don't really, you don't need to know what they mean to me. We're trying to figure out what God meant them to mean. And so we'll read verses, the first five verses here. In the beginning was the Word. Notice it's capitalized. And, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. So before we move on, Understand the word is talking about the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. We're going to stop right there. Really, we could stop after the first phrase and have enough to preach about. But this morning, I'd like to preach this about the light of the word. The light of the word. Let's pray and ask God to bless us and meet with us. Lord, we need you. I need you desperately. I pray that you'd help me to convey not just what is on my heart, but to convey what you were laying on John's heart as he wrote this gospel. And Lord, this is such a daunting, such a large subject and one that I don't feel worthy to present. And yet, 
it, it's, it's helpful. It, it will be helpful, Lord. We need it. I just pray that you'd help us in our understanding through the Holy Spirit, Lord, illuminate this so that it's not just my words, but it is your spirit doing the work to let us see what you meant, what you want for us. We pray that you'd help us to apply it. And not just in the ways that I mentioned, Lord, I pray that every seat, every person, every heart in every seat would be applying this to themselves as they hear it, Lord. I pray for those that aren't saved, that today would be the day that they finally get that settled with you. And then I pray for those that are your children. And I pray that you'd help them to see that this truth makes a difference in their lives, in our lives as well. Lord, we love you. We need you. We pray that you'd meet with us in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The book of John, it really is one of a kind. And we've We've talked about this as we introduced it a couple of weeks ago. But even among the Gospels, it stands out as unique in its perspective on Jesus Christ. John wrote this Gospel many years after Jesus Christ had ascended into heaven. Likely some 60 years later that John wrote this Gospel. And he was likely aware of the other Gospels from Matthew, Mark and Luke. And he comes at this one from a different angle. Much of what John is doing, he's writing for theological purposes. He summarizes Christ's deity, deity in the first 18 verses here, and then he expounds on that. He unpacks it. So in many ways, this is like a, a theological prologue, the first 18 verses. And then through the discussions and conversations and acts of Jesus Christ, he then takes what he mentioned at the beginning and he unpacks it for us during the rest of the book. Remember that John's purpose in writing this book out of John 20, 30, and 31 was that we would see the signs and miracles of Jesus Christ, that we would believe then something about Jesus Christ, and then that we would, in order to have eternal life, place our trust in Jesus Christ alone to have eternal life. His purpose, John's purpose, is not a biography. If it's a biography, he failed because he left out a lot of what he could have included. No, this is not a biography. No, this is a look. It is a gospel. It is a look at the life of Jesus Christ, especially as it pertains to us having eternal life. Alexander McLaren wrote this about John. The other gospels begin with Bethlehem. John begins with the bosom of the Father. Matthew and Luke take us to the manger, but John takes us back to the mists of eternity. As, as at the time of John's writing, uh, it is estimated that there were a, a hundred, this is what Barclay says, there were a hundred thousand Gentile believers to every one Jewish believer. The Gentiles, the, the Jews had rejected Jesus Christ, but the Gentiles had embraced Jesus Christ as Messiah. So John is not writing to a, to a Jewish mindset He's not writing to the Jews as much as he's writing to the world. Yes, he's writing so that a Jew, a, a, a Jewish person could understand this, but he doesn't begin with a Jewish genealogy and he doesn't begin in a Jewish city. No, he goes all the way back to eternity because that is a human issue. Eternal life is something that every human needs. It's not just a problem for the Jews. It's not just a problem for the Gentiles. This, is, this book is written to, the, to every human of every race, of every color, of every nationality, every man, every woman, and every child. This book is written to us so that we can know how to have eternal life. 
Jesus is the source of eternal life. But be, listen, before we can have it, there are some incredible truths about Jesus Christ that we need to know. The first truth that John gives us is this. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Like I said, many of John's readers were, um, uh, uh, were Gentiles. They, they couldn't relate to the Jewish terminology and the Jewish mindsets and ideas. At, the, at this point in time in history, the Greeks were the prominent thinkers of the day. But many of the Greeks, they'd never heard of the Messiah. They didn't know about this one that was supposed to come and deliver Israel. And, and so John knew he would have known how difficult it was to convince Greeks to receive the Messiah, to understand Jesus as Messiah around the year 100 AD. Uh, this may have been written around that time. Then we know that John, by history, John was living in Ephesus, which is a Greek city. So he was surrounded by those who wouldn't have understood had he simply just started talking about Jesus as Messiah, they wouldn't have necessarily been able to wrap their minds around it. It was a difficult thing for them, and he knew the challenge of presenting Christianity and, and that, so that the Greeks could understand it. So this is, this, this is uh, what led John through the Holy Spirit to present the idea of the Word in John 1. See, both the Jews and the Greeks understood the concept of the word. The Jews, the Jews viewed the word, when we say in the beginning was the word, the reason that John uses that, just so that we understand why he would come at it from this angle, is because, because both the Jews and the Greeks would understand it. The Jews understood the word. It makes sense. They understood the word as something that has power, that your words have power. Every word matters in the Hebrew language. They, there are no wasted words. And it makes sense when you consider that God, his word, was powerful enough to speak the worlds into existence. That's their idea of the word. But by the time of Christ, and so it's Elohim, which is the Jewish name for God. It means mighty. It means supreme. And that even his word has power when he speaks that creation happens. But by the time we get to the time of Christ, the Hebrew language was essentially only for the scholars. And most of the common folks, they, they would speak in a language called Aramaic. The scholars knew, he, knew Hebrew, but the common tongue was Aramaic. It would be kind of like it was, a, it was an offshoot of Hebrew, like our English today would be an offshoot of Old English. Now, I mean, it's hard to read it. It's hard to understand it. It's connected, but Aramaic is an offshoot, a branch of Hebrew. But it meant, though, that the scriptures had to be translated into a language that the people could read and understand, which was Aramaic. Those translations were called the Targumim, but, by, but the translators of these, remember, so we're, we have these truths in Hebrews, in Hebrew, the scriptures in Hebrew, the common tongue is Aramaic, so these translators, they, they translated the Targumim, when they did, they had such reverence for the name of God that they wouldn't put anything in their translations that would attribute something human to God. Like for instance, in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 13, it speaks that God laid the foundation of the earth with his hand. Well, those that were translating the Targumim, they were in such reverence of God, they didn't want anything that was anthropomorphic or something that was connecting a human being to a, an attribute of God. So rather than saying that he laid the foundation with the hand, the foundation was laid by the hand of God, 
they would change that out and say the word of God. It was the word of God. And, and yes, the word is something that men speak, but it's not as human, human-y. Is that a word? As a hand. So they would say it's the, they, the foundations were laid the, by the word of God. So the Jews knew what word meant. A word is, it was a reference to God. And the Jews understood that. John knew that they would understand what he meant. But word also meant, the word word, also meant something to the Greeks. The Greek word for word, that's confusing, yes. The Greek term for word is logos, from which we get the root word log, L-O-G, as in dialogue or monologue, which is what some of you are thinking is happening right now. Or terminology, log, it's speech. But it wasn't just speech to the Greeks. Um, it also meant reason. A logical way of thinking. But they, they attributed, the Greeks then attributed logos to, to reason that came from God. Meaning that rather than give, give God credit as a person... Then, then they would say that God, this is God's way of controlling mankind and keeping things from spinning into chaos. Logos was reason. It's what Logos would be what God puts in all of us to keep us grounded. To, it was kind of this nameless, um, this nameless energy, this Logos. And it came from God, but it was God's way of keeping us under control. You know, kind of like, you know, um, as a parent... You set out rules, you won't always be there, but those rules hopefully will keep your children in line because they know if they don't, if they don't keep the rules, there's big trouble coming. Well, in many ways, it's kind of what they've attributed the word logos, which is reason. It's kind of to keep the world from spinning and allowing chaos to come and take over. The thought was that all things happen according to logos. It was God's mind controlling the world and every man in it. So I, I give you that background so that you'll understand that by John using the word word, the Hebrews understood it, the Jews understood it, um, because word has power and word was a reference to God in the Aramaic text. But it also meant something to the Greeks because word was this thing that represents God that's in all of us, that helps us uh, to stay in line before him. They both would have understood, which is part of the reason that John, through the Holy Spirit, um, it, it seems like such a wise move on his part. If he is writing to the world, not just to the Jews, to use word opens this up, his gospel to the whole world. It allows those that wouldn't understand in other terms, it allows them to understand what he's saying. To the Jews, John was saying this, the word that, that you have attributed to God's power to God's working the word was made flesh your idea of God came as a man 100% man 100% God but it's good for you to know to the Jews this says that the unapproachable holy God in heaven is now in the flesh the word has come to you and he offers life to the Greeks, John was saying, for hundreds of years, you've thought of God as nothing but an idea that controls the minds of mankind. But that logos that you've submitted to is no longer just a nameless idea. No, logos with a capital L, a capital W, logos is now a person. And he's at the center of all that we do and believe. And he's not just in heaven, 
He's come here. Listen, that's why John used the word, word. Because it allowed those from both sides of the issue to understand what he's saying. And in the same way that a word communicates, listen, and I know there's details, but I, I just need you to stick here. The reason that John, uh, that a word, in the same way that a word communicates, God communicated himself to mankind through Jesus Christ. His word communicated. And John did a great job through the Spirit's help of writing a gospel everyone could relate to. But the first thing that John says is this, the word is eternal. Jesus is eternal. He says, in the beginning was the word. And that sounds a lot like what verse in the Bible, in the beginning? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. It starts with in the beginning God. And in the beginning was the word. That verb indicates that at the beginning of the universe, the word was already there. Jesus was already in existence. Listen, don't get bogged down in the details. I need you to stay here. Both John, Genesis 1 and John 1 leave no room for argument. The understanding is this, that God is, the existence of God is unquestioned. The existence of Jesus Christ is unquestioned. Jesus has existed outside of time since before time. Wrap your mind around that. I mean, our brains can't comprehend a pre-existent God. But the Bible says it, so we accept it by faith. And you say, well, you know, that's why you Christians are, are kind of ignorant because you accept uh, everything by faith, and I believe in science. Well, I mean, have you ever considered what it takes to accept by faith if you don't believe in God? You know, that, that life just happened to begin, and over the course of billions of years, life happened, and there's design, and, and it all came about without a designer. I mean, you don't walk through the woods and see a cabin that's broken down and old in the middle of the woods and think, huh, I wonder what tornado dumped that right there and built the cabin. No, when you see design, you assume there's designer. And for us to look at this world and assume nobody created it, that's a step of faith. Amen. And so here, John, John says Jesus is pre-existent. He has always existed, and we can't wrap our minds around that, but we believe it by faith. He says the same was in the beginning with God. And I know he came to earth for 33 years, and, but he existed long before his birthday. He stepped into time for 33 years to give us a glimpse of the one true God, but he existed since before the beginning of time. He was there at creation according to Colossians 1. And the point is this, John is not, or Jesus is not, is not a created being. Jesus is the creator. He's the reason things were created. Verse 3 says this too. He made all things. His fingerprints are on every created thing. Listen, Jesus is eternal. Amen. He has no beginning. He has no ending. And we can't wrap our minds around that, but you must believe it. Listen, you must believe that Jesus is eternal if you want eternal life. You cannot believe that Jesus Christ is a created being if you want eternal life. Because then you'd be placing your trust in someone that has a beginning and someone that has an end. But Jesus is alive and he's always been alive. 
If you want eternal life, you must believe he's eternal. And, and you must believe it. Listen, the cults will try to convince you. Even through this, they'll, re, they'll rewrite these verses and say that Jesus is a God. But it makes no allowance for that in the, in the original languages. No, he is God. He's not created. It's heresy of the highest order to say that Jesus Christ is a created being. He is God. He has always been. He always will be. He's not created. Listen, if he is, then we are placing our trust in someone that's like us. Jesus is eternal. That's truth number one. Truth number two, Jesus is one with God. It says in verse one, the word was with God and the word was God. And that word with God, it points to the idea of not just an existence or not just being around, but having a relationship. There was fellowship. And the two words that help us understand this are accompaniment and relationship. Jesus was with God. Jesus has been with God since the beginning. Now, this doesn't mean there are multiple gods. You know, we don't believe in multiple deities. No, it means that there is, are three distinct yet equal personalities within the Godhead. That's the idea of the Trinity. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They are separate but equal. They are not ideas or philosophies. They are uh, each a person. And though the Word is distinguishable from God, He is eternal God. And you say, well, help me my, wrap my mind around this. Well, I've got a real simple way to explain it. I can't explain it. I, I, you, if you could help me wrap my mind around it, that'd be great too. Listen, if we, if, if, if we could understand everything there is to know about God, I don't know that he'd be worthy of our worship. If we could wrap our mind around all that he is, I'm not sure that we would be in awe of him like we ought to be. And I'm glad there are things about him I'm not going to understand till I get to heaven because that means he's a God that is worthy of my reverence and he's worthy of my worship and he's worthy of me doing everything I can to let him know how much I'm thankful for him and, and how in awe I am of him. Any God less than that, I'm not sure I'd want to worship a God like that. He's a God we can't wrap our mind around, but the Bible says it. And listen, this is what it means to be Bible believers, is that if the Bible says it, we, under, we, we believe it, whether or not we fully grasp it, we'll grasp it someday. We believe it because the Bible says, but Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, but he is one with God. Amen. Jesus is God. He does, it doesn't say he was a God. It, it, he wasn't like, just like God, he was God. He's always been and he only ever will be God. He's 100% God. And even when he came to this planet, he was 100% man, but he was still 100% God. The tense, uh, he was God, was with God. It's imperfect, which means it doesn't imply, it does not imply past. It doesn't imply present or future. It just is. It's continuous, like when he says, I am. He just is. He just exists. So truth number one is this. If you want eternal life, you must believe that Jesus is eternal. That he's not just some prophet. He's not just some created being. He's not just some teacher. No, Jesus is, is eternal. He has always been and he will always exist. But the second thing is that you must believe that Jesus is God. He is God. He is deity. And if you want eternal life, you cannot have eternal life if you refuse to believe that Jesus is God. 
Jesus attests to his own deity, and we won't get into all of those verses today either. I'm just telling you that John makes it absolutely clear that there's nothing to deny in John's mind. And John spent a few years around Jesus, as close to Jesus as anybody. And even he, after spending three, three and a half years with Jesus Christ, even he said, I believe he's God. Like you wouldn't be able to fool somebody for that long. He believed it. Listen, it means when Jesus came to earth, we got a glimpse of God. Jesus didn't come because he needed something to do. Jesus came to be the full expression of God to man. And that leads to truth number three. So believe this. Truth number one, Jesus is eternal. Truth number two, Jesus is God. Truth number three, Jesus has revealed God to man. God revealed himself, we know, through creation And we see that in this passage that Jesus Christ in verse 2 and 3, the same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. But but we also know that creation is, is not enough for sinners. Romans 1 tells us that creation is God's general revelation and in creation we can look around and I don't know how you could stand at the at one rim of the Grand Canyon and not believe that somebody created it. And I don't know how you could how you could stand at the foot of, of a mountain range and or maybe maybe like the Swiss Alps or or the Tetons in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, or Glacier. I was able to go to Glacier just this year and, and the, the going to the Sun Road and and you see these incredible sights. You can't wrap your mind around it. I don't know how somebody can stand there and say this wasn't created, this just happened. No, creation points to God. Creation lets us know in a general way that there's somebody greater than us. There's a creator higher than us. But because we're sinners, though, the problem is now we need something more specific. So God said creation will point them to a God, but they need something more specific. So he sent Jesus Christ. And specifically, he revealed himself to mankind through his son. He let us get a glimpse of himself through his son, Jesus Christ. The problem is, even with the advent, even with the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we still have a sin problem. Sin has blinded us to the obvious truth. Look at it, verse 4 again. In him, he came in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. See, Adam and Eve sinned, and that sin nature has been passed down to all of us by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, the Bible says in Romans 5. And it causes us, we are sinners, and it causes us to be blinded to obvious truth. What should be obvious to us in creation required more revelation. So God sent his son Jesus for that specific revelation. But our spiritual darkness still requires us to take another step. Meaning that we are in spiritual darkness by default. John uses the word life about 36 or 38 times in his gospel, which is more than any other New Testament book. And remember, we are his purpose was that we might have eternal life by believing in Jesus' name based on what we know of Jesus Christ. This means that the default for mankind is that we don't have eternal life. Our default, listen, when you're born, you say, yeah, we have babies and we've got babies even here today and they're precious Love those little babies. 
But listen, let's just be honest. The first time you change a diaper, you realize they're not perfect. The older they get, the more imperfect you realize they are, unless you're one of those parents that are blinded by, you know, the sinful darkness of your own child. <laughs> say, that's really mean to say about your kids. I, I've raised some, I, and I love my children, but they're not perfect. And, and we might think, well, I, I don't really believe that God would just, you know, allow us to be in that position by default. Well, he, he, we did, he didn't choose it, we chose it. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, and that sin nature has been passed along. The cutest little baby in this, in this building today has a sin nature, and they may not have sinned willfully yet, but when they get old enough, they will, because we all have. Right. Our default, though, listen, our default is spiritual darkness. That's where we are by nature, and, and, and the default for mankind is darkness, and the darkest darkness is sin darkness. The darkest of darkness of sin is far worse than any other darkness. I don't know if you've ever been to a cave, like a cave tour. I went to Mammoth Cave one time in, in Kentucky, and maybe you've been to a cave system. Mammoth Cave is huge. It's, I think, maybe the largest cave system, um, at least in our country. It, it's just massive. And you go down to the bottom, and they've got lights and, and things along the way, and the guide has a, a flashlight or a lantern and then you get down there, and at one point, if you've ever done this, where they go, they go to the bottom and they say, okay, we're going to turn off the lights. Everyone stands still, and they turn off the lights, and there's literally no light. I mean, and I, I remember doing this right here, and I couldn't see my hand. And you kind of wait for your eyes to adjust, and they don't, because there's no light. Amen. That's how dark that darkness is. But I'm telling you, sin darkness is far greater than that. Sin darkness is worse than the darkest dark that you've ever been in. Sin darkness blinds us to things that should be obviously true. It's the greatest darkness. And listen, unless someone turns on the light, most men don't even know that they're in darkness. Mankind's default is to be doomed to hell forever. But most of them exist never even knowing that. That's why Jesus came. He came to fully reveal God to man, to turn on the light so that those in darkness could see. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, we are blind by nature, we are in darkness by nature, but God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to turn on the lights and reveal himself to us. He came offering eternal life and a shining light, and he shined a light on his offer. And listen, those who are spiritually dead must trust Jesus, who is the source of eternal life. Verse 5, though, says the darkest comprehended it not. And that could have two possible meanings. To comprehend means to grasp. But if you think about it, grasp has two meanings. If I think of the word grasp, then I say, okay, are you grasping this? Then, then what does that mean to you? Like intellectually, are you understanding this? That's one way to think about grasp. But it can also mean, grasp can also mean grasp. You know, don't, I'm sweaty, huh? Grasp. 
physically. Like, I mean, Timmy's a tough kid, but I think I could take him. Grass, well, grass doesn't, did you say that's right? Okay, good. Thank you. Amen? Okay, thank, amen to that one. Grass means not just to understand something, it means to overcome something, to overtake something. And so, think about it. So you think about that idea here, the darkness comprehendeth it not, meaning the darkness couldn't really understand. Uh, the darkness has a tough time. Even with light, the darkness has a tough time seeing it. But it's not just that. The darkness comprehendeth it not could also mean the darkness couldn't overtake the light. Meaning, not only does the darkness have tough time understanding, we, we see even later in this chapter, he came into his own and his own what? Received him not. We know that's true. But even more than that, the darkness couldn't look at the light and say, I'm going to take you down. I mean, I could take Timmy down. <laughs> but if I'm darkness and he is light, if I'm the sin, of, if I'm the darkness of sin, and he represents Jesus Christ, the darkness can try as much as it wants to overtake the light, and it can't. Not possible. As a matter of fact, darkness did try to overtake the light. His entire earthly ministry, the Pharisees, tried to grasp him and overtake him and overthrow him, and they never could until he willingly laid down his life. But when he did willingly lay down his life, they beat him uh, senselessly. They tortured him mercilessly. They, they shamed him in front of his family, in front of his friends. They put him on a cross to crucify him. And they are thinking, we're going to overtake him. Satan was probably thinking, finally, we're going to overcome the light. But what do we know? They buried him in that grave. And three days later, what happened? Up from the grave, he arose. So even though the darkness wants to overtake the light and overthrow the light, one thing we know about Jesus, listen, if he is eternal and if he is God and if he has revealed God to us, there's no way, no matter how dark the darkness feels, that it can overcome the light. He is the light. He is the life. He comes offering life to you and I and you wonder if you can trust him. Well, yeah, you can. If he's eternal, you can trust him. If he's God, you can trust him. If he's revealed God to us, then everything we need to know about God, we have seen in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're not saved today, it's not because darkness is stronger than light. It's because you haven't made the choice to receive eternal life from Jesus Christ. The only limitation for you to being saved today is that you've made the choice not to up to this point. There's nothing the darkness can do. Now listen, does the darkness feel dark sometimes? Have you been watching the news? Have you seen some of the, th the stuff that California is trying to pass? I don't know that the darkness has ever felt darker. The darkness feels dark. And, and it feels overwhelming. Listen, it, it, but if you, it, today we need to understand this. That the darkest of dark can't overcome the shining light of Jesus Christ. No matter your darkness, the light of Jesus Christ shines brighter. And here's why I can say that. Because if he, can off, listen, if he can offer eternal life, there's no other situation in life you face 
that he can't handle. I mean, if you believe this about eternal life, which would be your biggest issue and my biggest issue would be eternal life. But if he comes offering eternal life, then no matter your darkness, the light of Jesus Christ will always shine brighter. The biggest issue we have is eternal life. But he's already proven he's qualified to handle that. He's eternal, he is God, and he's revealed everything we need to know about God. Listen, I'm not saying that your darkness isn't real. I'm not saying that it doesn't feel hopeless, but according to verse 5, there's no darkness dark enough to overcome the light of Jesus. You know, even at Mammoth Cave, in that level of darkness, all it took for the darkness to flee was one light to be turned on. I'm telling you, it was the darkest dark I've ever seen. But when that guide flipped the lantern back on, guess what? Darkness fled. And in the same way, Jesus Christ, the light, darkness has no chance. His light shines. Nothing can put his light out. And the only thing that prevents you from having eternal life is to reject the light. Have you rejected the light of Jesus Christ? I'm telling you today that no matter the darkness that you're coming from, the light of Jesus Christ shines brighter. In other words, if he's eternal and he is God and he's revealed God to us, then you don't have to live a hopeless life. Everything that you face, God is greater than. It's true for us Christians too. If you're in serious darkness today, I mean, salvation, obviously, if it seems hopeless, Jesus Christ is brighter than that darkness. If you've got a health issue and you've about given up, we have folks that have health issues and and you're dealing with things that you don't even know what to do with. Listen, if, if you've about given up, let me just remind you, the light of Jesus Christ is brighter than your darkness. If he can give you eternal life, he can help you with your health issues. Your finances seem out of control. There's no end in sight. And you think there's nothing but darkness. No, Jesus Christ, his light shines brighter than that darkness. You say, I've got a relationship problem and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. I've got no more answers. I'm telling you, the reason Jesus came was to fix a relationship. He can handle relationships. You just have to believe that his light is brighter than your darkness. You say, I'm in deep discouragement and I'm in the dark and and nothing looks bright. You're at the end of yourself. I'm telling you, if he can give you eternal life, he can fix your biggest issues. And I'm not trying to diminish your situation today, but let me remind you of something. Let me shed a little light on your situation. Jesus is eternal, which means that anyone else you could trust has a date of birth and a date of death, but Jesus is and always has been alive and he always will be. Let me shed some light on your situation that Jesus is God. He's not just like God, he is God. And he has, that means he has all authority and all power in this universe to help you with your problems. Jesus, let me shed some more light. Jesus has genuinely revealed God to us, which means that God wants us to have light. If he didn't want us to have light, he would have never sent Jesus Christ. But he did because he wants us to have light. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know about him. And if you will simply dig yourself in to the revelation of God, he will reveal himself to you through his word. And I'm telling you, you will soon learn that your darkness has not, holds not a candle to the light of Jesus Christ. What this means is anything you're facing is well within his control. If he's eternal, your darkness isn't too big for him. 
If he's God, you have nothing to worry about because his light can dispel darkness. No matter your darkness, the light of Jesus shines brighter. You need to be saved. His offer of eternal life is legitimate. Why? Well, because he's the source of eternal life. He doesn't just offer it. He's the source of it. Darkness stands no chance. Are you about to give up? Don't. If he's eternal, he's greater than your darkness. Are you feeling hopeless? You don't have to be. Because the God of heaven came to earth to let us know we don't have to be hopeless. Amen. Is your situation too big for you? Of course it is. But Jesus came shining a light and offering life. And if he can offer eternal life, he can fix your greatest problems. No matter your darkness, the light of Jesus shines brighter. But here's the thing, you have to want the light. You have to make the choice. No one can decide for you whether or not you turn on the light. The light is there. You just have to make the choice if you'd rather have light or darkness. Last week, we had the church planning conference a couple weeks ago, and many of you know Jonathan Pyle was here preaching, and Jonathan and I are, he's a pastor in Idaho, and he and I are good friends. And we used to walk around Stillwater at church there, Bible Baptist, and Dr. Hardy, I don't really know if I understand the reference, but Dr. Hardy used to call us Mutton Jeff. Because you just walk around looking for trouble, I guess, is what it seemed like. But Jonathan and I, we just tend to do weird stuff, like go to Taco Bell at like 1 o'clock in the morning and stuff like that. So we were in my car, and I had a couple of kids with me, and we were the last ones to leave in the parking lot. And I said, okay, and I just, we were just being silly. So I said, okay, I'm going to drive with my eyes closed to get out of the parking lot. Jonathan, you, you better help me. And the kids are like, what? Jonathan's like, and he, of course he's game for anything. You know, so he's guiding. He's like, okay, a little bit to the left. There's like, remember, there's nobody in the parking lot. Okay, I'm just so I'm just driving to get out. And as soon as I get out, I'm gonna turn. My, I'm gonna open my eyes. John's like, okay, a little bit to the left. Oh, oh wait, 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 a little bit to the right. No, a hard left. So I finally got out into the street, and then I opened my eyes. Everything was fine. Don't worry, and kids, don't listen to this. Okay, by the way, <laughs> if you're driving. <laughs> We were just being silly, you know? But listen, that's how a lot of people are when it comes to the light. Meaning the light is available. All you have to do is open your eyes. You can see. All you have to do is open your eyes. The light has shined. All you have to do is open your eyes. Light is available. But listen, you're trying to navigate the darkness with your eyes closed. And you've got no help. You've got nobody telling you what to do. You've got no idea where to go. You're just driving. It's like you're going down a country road with your headlights off. And pretty soon, guess what? You're going to end up in the ditch. But I'm telling you this. This is as simple as it is today. You may be in darkness, but the light is shining. And all you have to do to have light in your life is choose it. You simply have to say, I'm tired of driving in the darkness. I'm tired of living on this level. I want to see God help me. Amen. Jesus, help me. I don't know if I'm saved. Jesus, whatever you tell me I need to do, I'll do it. That's all it takes. 
you have an issue, a problem you don't know how to deal with, man, it seems really dark. All you have to do is choose to walk in the light. And God will give it to you. So why don't you this morning? If you're not saved, why don't you, why don't you just say, whatever the Lord says I need to do, whatever step I need to take, I'm willing because that's, all, that's the only light I have. It's true. That's all the light you need. And if he can handle, listen, if he can handle eternal life, Christian, he can handle whatever you're facing. No matter how dark your darkness, the light of Jesus Christ always shines brighter. Will you, are you willing to open your eyes this morning? Are you willing to simply make the choice? Yeah. And say, Jesus Christ, I need you. Amen. Tired of the darkness, I want to walk in the light. Let's stand together. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. We'll have a verse of invitation. This is a time in our services where you have the opportunity to respond. And, and I'm just going to ask the question, is there anyone here that you say, I don't know that, and every head bowed, every eye's closed, we're not looking around. Say, I don't know that if I died today that I'd be on my way to heaven. I'm not sure that I have eternal life. Is that something that, that you know that's part of the darkness that you're facing and, and you're not sure? Is that something that you would be willing to just, I'll pray for you if you just raise your hand. I'll, you just say, I don't know. I see that hand over here. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else that say, I don't know that if I die today that I, I have eternal life. I'm not sure that I've ever placed my faith in Jesus. I feel like I'm walking in the dark. Anybody else? If that's the case, then most of us are, are child, we're a child of God. We, we, we say, yeah, I know that I'm saved. But is anybody here facing a situation that feels far too big for you? And, and you think, I don't know the answer. I don't know. I see that. Thank you. Over here. Anybody else? I see that. Thank you. See that over here. Thank you. Here, I see that. Thank you. And I would think that every person in this room has a situation in life that feels bigger than you can handle. Let me just remind you of this. If Jesus' light can shine enough to give you eternal life, do you really think there's a problem you're facing now too big for him to handle? There's not. And maybe it is just a matter of you choosing to walk in the light rather than kind of lick your wounds in the darkness or feel, have a pity party in the darkness or, or just kind of dwell in the darkness. No, you have a choice to make just like somebody who's not saved this morning. You can be in the light. But you have to believe that if Jesus is eternal and Jesus is God and Jesus has revealed everything about God to us that we need to know that he has the answers for this problem just like he does for eternal life. You have to believe that. If you're willing to submit yourself to the Lord this morning, I'm telling you, choose to walk in the light and he'll give you light. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth and I pray that you'd help us each to apply it to our own situations, our own lives. It's easy to get just, just used to the darkness and forget that you have, shed, you have shined light if we are willing to walk in it. Lord, help us then to open our eyes this morning and to trust you for the situations that we're facing. I pray that you give us courage to respond as you want us to this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.